The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Up here, my friends, we're just trying to make a little money here. Because my job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, to teach you, especially about days like today. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. It's official, people. When we buy stocks, we're no longer fighting the Fed. Based on what we heard today, the Fed is now a little more worried about a slowdown than it is about inflation. And the averages reacted appropriately to that change with the Dow gaining 512 points to a new all-time high, S&P jumping 1.37%, NASDAQ climbing 1.38%, a little more tepid than the others. Yes, when Fed Chief Jay Powell says the economy has slowed considerably, that's good news, not bad It means that the Fed's now on the side of those who own stocks, not the ones who don't own any. Not only is the Fed no longer our enemy, it's much more likely to become our pal, assuming the economy stays on its current slower course. This is the about face that the bulls were waiting for. It's the comeuppance for the myriad bears who never embraced the possibility that Powell could engineer a soft landing, a terrific soft landing. And this one's so soft it barely counts as a landing at all. Those bears are now trapped. There's nothing they can do except try to rip their legs out of the jaws of those bear traps. Oh, good luck. I'm told those things really hurt, especially when you're short. When you get your first sign that the Fed's finally done with its tightening cycle like we did today, there are two ways to look at it. You can say we're now ready for rate cuts, perhaps as many as three of them next year, and three rate cuts would mean smooth sailing for stocks. Bonds will lose their attractiveness versus stocks real fast. It's a Goldilocks situation, not too hot, not too cold, just what the bulls want. That's certainly what we saw in today's action. Best performing stocks, they were the housing stocks and the bank stocks, not tech. The home builders were already roaring. Hey, Toll Brothers just announced a brand new 20 million share buyback after the close. They get the zeitgeist, but the banks are new to the party, and the bank stocks that were most shunned made the biggest moves higher. These stocks are all saying that happy days are here uh, because, well, mortgage rates, auto loan rates, and credit card rates are all about to come down, so defaults will shrink. 
But I said there were two ways to look at the Fed stance. Uh, what I just laid out is the glass half full version. What about that glass half empty alternative? This view says the Fed's done tightening and might have to cut rates a bunch of times in 2024, but that's because it raised rates too aggressively, with the rates going to their highest levels in 22 years. So we can only hope nothing's going to go horribly wrong, just wrong. J-PAL takes questions from the press, and most of the reporters seem fixated on this issue. After today's initial jubilation, which will probably extend to tomorrow, I expect the glass half-empty crowd to take over the microphone. But we didn't hear that pessimism from Powell. He actually did seem as jubilant as he ever gets, which admittedly isn't saying very much. In fact, in his typically understated way, he actually took a shot at all those recessionistas gone wrong. They'll probably continue to be wrong because, well, we got a strong, tight labor market. But more people coming back to the workforce, that means wages are not going to soar. He didn't say, we got a soft landing, nah, 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 nah. Of course, that's what I would do. But we did indeed get the soft landing. So let's declare it. With today's news, interest rates have peaked, and we now have the wind at our backs for some, not all, stocks. Uh, And the wind is no longer in our faces because inflation is getting tame. Obviously, the market got ahead of the news. The average has been roaring for seven weeks now, so there are no surprises here other than that the Fed now seems to think out loud and in unison that crushing inflation is now less important than avoiding a slowdown. Price stability has been restored. Again, we're no longer fighting the Fed. The first rule of when you can buy stocks without worrying about monetary policy. Powell doesn't want to declare victory. I'll declare victory for him. What about the second view, though? The one that says the Fed's only getting ready to cut rates because they're worried something about it could go horribly with the economy. Lots of money managers actually came on television and said that immediately. Said the Fed overshot with its rate hikes, that the economy's in trouble, that a recession will happen real soon. I actually heard these people say this. Some uh, even said we're in a deflationary moment where the economy's just going to stall out. Pancake. Don't they realize that in this movie the bulls gore the matadors and hook them on two horns? Ain't these people ever heard of Xanax? I don't know how people make this ill-advised argument when we just got strong employment numbers last Friday. Business is all right. It's just not red hot. But the more realistic pessimistic camp says you already missed the rally. Now it's time to accept that the bull market's long in the tooth. I heard that, too. Headed to the slaughterhouse. Heard that, too. As the true slowdowns yet to begin. This camp had its way. With, with lots of people buying the slowdown stocks, think Procter & Gamble, Constellation Brands, people still drink beer in recession. The good news here is, of course, that everyone was buying something. That's how you get a market with great breath. Does it mean the run of the Magnificent Seven is now over as people go buy Keycorp and Wells Fargo or use car companies like CarMax and recycle Boston properties? Well, you know what? Yes, when it comes to percentage gains. When it comes to percentage gains, I take any of those over the seven. By the way, I never knew which of the seven was Yul Brenner and which was Steve McQueen anyway, at least not with their hats on. Should you strap yourself to the bullish mass and not listen to the sirens of those who are doubling down on negativity, the ones who say that we're headed for a hard landing despite all the evidence to the contrary? Yes. For now, you need to ignore them. It's true that the market's been up for seven weeks, but not everything, not the financials. They sell at such incredibly low levels, and I think you can buy almost all of them, especially the regional banks never came back after the mini banking crisis in March. Deep Sentinels, they haven't run that much either. They're incredibly cheap because their stocks will reflect the recession that I'm now telling you we're not going to get. Told you Caterpillar was a winner, and Stanley Black & Decker, why the travel trust has such big positions then. They're made for this moment when the Fed's no longer your enemy. Hey, same goes for anything auto-related. They're way too cheap now. Oh my, Ford and GM, fine with me. So far, there's been a ton of money made in all sorts of tech, software, hardware, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, all the things that tend to hold up in a slowdown. But now it's time for Bank of America and J.P. Morgan to shine, for the autos to be bought, for the deep cyclists to rebound like crazy. Yes, the big money's already been made in tech, although I think that there's still some small money coming. 
But if push comes to shove, I got to tell you, I prefer J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo. Always like that stagecoach to Microsoft or Alphabet, at least when it comes to percentage gains. By the way, that's why every member of the seven gave up big gains after the Fed's news, with the exception of Tesla. Bottom line, sure, the easy money's been made in a couple of sectors, mostly tech. But now it's time for a bunch of other sectors to shine. The economically sensitive ones that were supposed to be crushed by an inevitable recession. They've been down there being stomped on by the bears and bulls. That's over. Uh, These stocks aren't liked. May I suggest you cotton up to them? Because the plane has landed. Our seatbelts are unbuckled. We're in the overhead taking down our bags. We're going down the gangway, calling an Uber, and getting the heck out of an airport. Yes! House of Pleasure. Wade in North Carolina. Wade. Hello. I was wondering if you think Lululemon has hit the top or is there still room to grow past 500? Well, how about the fact that all the bears said it was a bad quarter and then it went to an all-time high? I mean, you know what? I, I, in the old days, you used to just call them stupid. But you know what they are? Stupid. It's a good stock. Andy in California. Andy. Andrew, speak to me. Come on, Andy. Andy, hey, come on. Hi, Tomer. Andy! This is Andy from, from the home of, uh, of the new AI revolution here in Silicon Valley. Thank you for taking my call. No uh, problem. What's up? Thank, and thank you so much for you and your staff for all you do. I've learned so much from you. Um, and you are very have- kind, Andy. And we're all fired up here. And I love this. I, Andy is the man. How can I help? Uh, hey, I have a question about Honeywell. So when Dave Cody ran Honeywell, I made a lot of money on Honeywell with you. You haven't opined on it in a, in a bit, and it seems like it's been stuck for about two or three years now. Uh, do I just swap it out for another industrial, and would that be a better, better take? Hey, Andy, listen to me. Honeywell is made for this moment. It's the kind of stock that is... It is down 5% for the year. It's been hated by bulls, bears, everybody, all sorts of animals. And next thing you know, the Fed does this, switches direction. I mean, my, it's one of those Fed members should have just said, you know what? What I meant to say was buy Honeywell. Could I be more clear? The easy money might have been made in some sectors, especially tech, AI. You get it. But now it's time for the economically sensitive areas to shine. So pick up some banks, some home builders if you want to. They've moved a little, but I don't care. You know why? Because Jay Powell got us to land softly. It's a nice run. One man money tonight. We're always on the lookout for best of breed stocks in the struggling REIT cohort. Could ProLot just be the one investors should be looking for? I'm digging into the story with the company's top brass. Then, with infrastructure spending set to continue into the new year, I have spotted an under the radar player that I think could benefit and be really interesting at these levels. I'll reveal the name. And Adobe reported at the Bell, I'm running through everything you need to know with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. 
With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Nearly all the stocks that got crushed when interest rates were rising can spring back now that rates are coming down. Not just long rates. That might even take down short rates repeatedly next year based on what we heard today. In this environment, you want some exposure to the Real Estate Investment Trust. That's right, REITs, which have already started rebounding like crazy since long rates peaked in late October. Take Kramer fave. Prologis, the REIT that owns warehouses and other logistics facilities, which put up great numbers in its most recent quarter and has already rallied nearly 34% from its lows in late October. Today, Prologis spoke to investors and analysts at the New York Stock Exchange, I'm familiar with that area, to present the longer-term investment case for their stock, rolling out some very encouraging three-year financial targets. Clearly, people like what they heard, hence why the stock jumped nearly 6% today. Now, earlier, we got a chance to speak with Hamid Mogadad. He is the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Prologis. Take a look at this. I mean, you have what I consider to be a joyous investment day because you're really talking about how to dominate. Why are you the most dominant company in your sector? Well, we really don't want to be the dominant company. We just want to be really good at serving our customers. And I think the customers are the key. Real estate companies are about the next deal. And we pretty quickly figured out that when you are our size with about $200 billion of assets, the next deal, no matter how good it is, not going to move the needle. But if you put the customer at the center of your business and you serve them even 5% better, you can create tons of value. And, you know, unfortunately, the real estate industry wasn't built around customers. In fact, it was an adversarial relationship between landlord and customer. And we've turned that equation around. And I think that's our secret sauce, more than our investments or our buildings or anything like that. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned the customer because you would not have unbelievably good companies like Amazon, Home Depot, and FedEx if you weren't were working with you directly. And I will go so far as to posit that when I get something that I order in the morning and it's there in the evening, Prologis is playing a role in that. 
Well, you know, 3% of global GDP goes through our buildings. And uh, so the chances are, and in the U.S., that number is much bigger. So the chances are that your package is coming through a facility of Pearl Eye just at some point in its life. Now, when I first met you, big domestic company, but now, I mean, you're capable of talking. I mean, at one point in your meeting, you said, well, you know, Poland's a little weak. I mean, you're in a lot of places. We are. We're in 20 different countries on four continents. And those countries represent a little over 70% of global GDP. I often look at your stock and say, you know what, I know it's a real estate investment trust. I regard it as a growth vehicle that pays a pretty good distribution. Correct way to look at your company? I think so. Uh, I think the biggest curse in our company is the fact that we're called a REIT. Uh, And so we're almost bound by trading like a REIT. And most people uh, think of us as a fixed income substitute. We are absolutely growth stock. I mean, you know, we've been growing double digits for as long as I remember, both in terms of earnings and dividends. And that picture is going to continue in the future based on everything we've seen. We've got a huge mark to market between where our leases are and where market rents are today. We're not talking any further growth. There will be further growth in market rents. But even if there is no further growth and we just capture that spread, it's a shoo-in for really strong earnings. Well, let's forward. talk about that. I find the analysts periodically, they, they want to nitpick, I think, because they'll talk about occupancy, 97%. They'll talk, I mean, the utilization rates, these are extraordinary rates. And when they do say that maybe things are a little soft, you point out that there's very little new construction in your business. Well, actually, there is a fair amount of construction this year. It's a blip. Right. But if you look forward, Starts that are down 65%. That's so, stark. And, and we're at 4% vacancy. I think we'll get up to about 5 and we'll go right that back down to 4 uh, because of this slowdown in construction. And by the way, we have gotten spoiled because vacancy rates were in the 35 to 4% range in the last two to three years. I've been doing this for 40 years. They have never been under 5 other than this cycle. So We're talking about historically low levels of vacancy and historically high levels of rental growth. But even if you throw all of that out, just capturing the rent growth that's already occurred, it's a tremendous boost to earnings. When you buy a company like Duke, I think this is my view, but you tell me you're able to convert that into a much more customer centric operation and then take share or please the people and, and numbers go higher. So that's the playbook. The playbook is that we usually pay a premium. Love not to have to pay a premium, but we have to buy a premium, pay a premium to buy the company. We generally get that premium back with cost synergies, and we've gotten pretty good at getting those. A lot of companies talk about synergies, but if you really look at it, they don't get it. We've proven that we'll get it time after time after time. We've done three or four public company oh. M&As the last couple of years. So the track record there is pretty good. But that's not the big price. The big price is what other services and products we can sell on top of real estate to the new customers that we get by virtue of these relationships. Whether it's solar energy, whether it's storage solution, whether it's EV charging, whether it's operating essentials, all these other things, whether it's private capital management of some of those assets, all of these are different income streams 
that very few real estate companies have. Well, I do. I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm leaving out superlatives here. Uh, Five billion square feet. How about 500 megawatts of rooftop solar? Clearly the largest there is. It's the largest rooftop, uh, not industrial scale in, in farms, but largest rooftop. We were second to target. I think we just passed them. Uh, and uh, we'll keep going. I think that we're just scratching the surface. That's only 4% of our roofs. Wow. We got the other 96 to go. So by the time we're done with this, if we're ever done with this, this will be a utility scale provider of renewable energy. And uh, we're putting a lot of people and resources into growing that business. By the way, we're not 5 million square feet. We're 1.2 billion square feet. <laughs> Well, one last question. Uh, you have what I consider to be a consumption model. You're exactly where you need to be for for uh, for an Amazon. It, it's convenient, and it, those are now hard places to get, right? I mean, you've you've got a hammerlock on a lot of the real estate. So it's really interesting. I mean, this business is not rocket science. Where where is consumption? It's where people are. Do people move around all the time? No. Population trends don't change that much. So if you've got a position in L.A. or in New Jersey or in New York and all that, you're serving those people and they don't make any more of that real estate. So well, I want to congratulate you on everything. And I remember during the dark case of 2008, you were the first stock uh, that bottomed because your business was unaffected because you have such strong controls and balance sheet. A lot of people have too big eyes. You never did. You've really run your Thank capital you. correctly. Hamid Mogadon is this prologist chairman and CEO on his fabulous analyst day. Nice yield, great growth. Thank you, Jim. Coming up, details on a power player that's been beating the S&P for years. An old Kramer favorite re-enters the fold when Mad Money returns. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Ago, I told you about the 14 stocks in the SP 500 that outperformed the benchmark index every year for at least the past five years. Stocks like Quanta Services, a specialized contractor that builds, repairs, and maintains all sorts of energy and communications infrastructure. They're the king of this. This one intrigued me, but because I hadn't been keeping up with the stock closely, I said I wanted to do more homework for recommending it. Nobody ever got hurt by doing a little due diligence. And you know what? After doing the research, I really like this stock. There's a reason why it's been able to beat the S&P for five straight years. Some of that's because Quanta Services has a uniquely decentralized operating model. They actually do business as hundreds of smaller regional operating companies. That's how you would know them, each of which is a specialty contractor that's tailored to customers in its area. That makes them nimble, but at the same time, they still get all the benefits of the scale because they negotiate with both suppliers and clients as one whole company. It all adds up to some very impressive numbers. Remember, the great thing about Quanta Services is its consistency. From 2010 through 2022, the company saw a 14% compound annual revenue growth rate, while earnings per share grew at an 18% clip over the same period 
contrast, the aggregate earnings per share for the S&P 500 had a 7% compound annual earnings growth rate during that period. <laughs> no wonder the stock of Quanta keeps outperforming. What about this year? Once again, Quanta stock has been running circles around the markets, up nearly 48% versus a 22% gain for the S&P 500. However, it's been a rocky road. At first, it was smooth sailing. Quanta climbed from 140 at the beginning of the year all the way to 212 and change at its all-time high, September 1st. But then the stock got hit with a huge downdraft in September and October. came right back down to 153 by November 1st. That turned out to be the momentum turn, a hideous day where the shareholder base capitulated right before the company was about to report earnings. They had no reason to give up on Quanta right before the quarter. It just felt like everybody was bracing for bad news, given the collapse of the stock over the previous couple of months. When Quanta actually reported, though, the results, they were great. The stock shot up 10% in a single session. It hasn't looked back since, reclaiming nearly all the ground it lost in September and October. So you might ask, what explains the stock's trajectory? Okay, from January to August, Quanta roared because it's engineering and construction firm. Right? It specializes in energy and communications infrastructure. These are the two areas that are major winners from Biden's big infrastructure package and the inaptly named Inflation Reduction Act. The stock is tailor-made for feeding at that federal trough. There's now a lot of money that's been allocated to hardening our electric grid, increasing renewable energy production, improving access to rural broadband. You better believe Quanta Services will get a bunch of those contracts. All the same, at the same time, Our oil and gas producers are eager to export the product overseas, which means we need more pipelines. Again, more business for these guys. Doesn't hurt that the company reported a series of very strong quarters. And that gets us through the end of August. But why did the stock roll over in September, you might ask? Remember, that's when alternative energy, especially solar, was getting killed. Now, Quanta does get 22% of its sales from renewable energy infrastructure. So fairly or unfairly, it ends up being painted as an alternative energy stock, and it got punished. Particularly hard when we learned that Next Era Energy, a bellwether name for the alternative energy group, plans to hit the brakes on its expansion plans. Man, that directly impacted Quanta Services. Next Year is one of its largest customers, possibly the largest. But even that doesn't justify the sell-off here. We're talking about 22% of Quanta's business, yet it somehow caused the stock to lose 28% of its value in just two months. That decline... Insane. Fortunately, the company reported a good quarter on November 2nd, and then a week later, Goldman Sachs published a very sharp, very smart upgrade, uh, given that the stock's now up 27% since then. The Goldman analysts argued that these worries about next year energy spending were overdone, especially because Qantas says that its customers have reiterated their commitments to their capital spending projects. The analysts went on to argue that Quanta's long-term track record of consistent execution, its deep relationship with customers, and its lack of scaled competitors all mean that it makes sense to pay a premium for the stock. I agree completely. Quanta Services currently sells for just over 25 times next year's earnings estimates. Okay, not cheap, not cheap. I think the premium multiple is more than justified. Wall Street's perfectly happy to pay up for consistently strong numbers, and that's exactly what Quanta gives you. Plus, we've got this huge wave of infrastructure spending on the way, and this company's going to be a direct recipient of that federal largesse. Of course, it also doesn't hurt that the market's totally changed its stripes ever since long-term interest rates peaked in late October. And short-term rates may have peaked, too, with the Fed now signaling the possibility of maybe as many as three cuts after today's FOMC meeting. That's terrific for the solar complex. It got crushed by higher rates because the whole residential solar industry is driven by financing, not by energy. Quanta strictly operates on the commercial side, but throughout the entire solar space, lower rates translates directly into higher demand. 
Again, it's absurd that Qantas Services trades like a solar stock. But it certainly doesn't hurt that the alternative energy clients appear to be in much better shape than they were even just a few months ago. That said, I think the government's investments in improving our electric grid represent a better growth theme for Quanta, given that about two-thirds of the revenue comes from utilities. The build-out of oil and gas infrastructure helps, too, and I feel like Quanta doesn't get enough credit for that business. You know, I thought that Jacob's Solutions was the best way to play the federal money coming our way, but this one's much cleaner, less convoluted, with much more visible contracts. So let me give you the bottom line here of this story that I like so much. Quanta Services has seen its stock beat the S&P 500 every year for the past five years, and I bet it can keep outperforming in the future. This is a unique business that stands to benefit immensely from the massive wave of federal infrastructure spending that's coming over the next decade or so. It doesn't hurt the quant is also a relatively safe way to play alternative energy, as they're really not exposed to residential solar panels, although don't expect Wall Street to give them the benefit of the doubt the next time that the group rolls over. How about we go to Ray in Florida? Ray. Hi, Jim. This is Ray from Florida. Hey, Ray. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you, buddy? So my, Pretty good, actually. So my question for you is, should I purchase ExxonMobil here at a 52-week low, or do you think there'll be a better opportunity come its acquisition of Pioneer from the dilution? Well, look, I think Darren Woods is doing a good job. The commodities obviously going against him. You got almost a 4% yield. If you wanted to own an oil stock, I would start right here with Exxon. David in Virginia. David. Greetings from beautiful Virginia, Professor Kramer. How are you? Good. Hey, sir, I called back in March about investing in Boeing when they received substantial orders from Japan and Saudi Arabia. Uh, you talked to me about at that at that time. Uh, since then, the stock has risen 25%. The Chinese today just announced advances in their goal for their own indigenous airliner. Do you think it's time to bail on Boeing? No. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, we got a multi-year move going in here in Boeing, and I think that on any pullback, you want to be a size bye, bye, bye. of that name. All right. Quanta Services has beaten the SP 500 for five years running. And given how much they'll benefit from the wave of infrastructure spending over the next decade, I bet they can keep outperforming in the future. Much more made money at, including my post earnings exclusive with Adobe, which stock is falling after the close. From AI to the cloud, I'm getting a sense of where the tech behemoth could be headed with the company CEO. Then all drug companies face one thing when it comes to their drugs. It's called a patent cliff. So what's the best way to invest in drug stocks given this fate? I'm more freaking up a strategy for handling the cohort. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Quarter when Adobe's about to report, I warn you, the, the Friday before that, the stock often sells off post-earnings, even when it shouldn't. Sure enough, tonight, Adobe delivered some terrific results, a clean top and bottom line beat with better than expected numbers for every segment and sub-segment. Management's guidance for the current quarter wasn't perfect. Their sales forecast came in light, even as their earnings forecast was fantastic. But their full-year forecast for 2024 was considered to be below expectations. As a result, the stock's gotten hurt after hours. Although, keep in mind, this thing came in hot, up 85% for the year going into the quarter. So maybe this is just the kind of periodic post-earnings pullback we're all used to from Adobe, which is, remember, one of the few companies that's already making money from artificial intelligence. Is there anything more to worry about? we got to find out. Let's check in with Shantun Ryan. He's the chairman and CEO of Adobe. Get a better read of the quarter. Mr. Ryan, welcome back to Man Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. Great to be on your show. Okay, so Shadu, we'll deal with the guidance in a second, but I think sometimes you have to just focus on a quarter with $5 billion first time, and we've got double-digit growth in every segment and sub-segment, 
Better than expected sales for every segment, plus strong margins, healthy bottom line. To me, this is the story of the evening. Uh, thank you, Jim. Uh, top to bottom, as you point out, it was absolutely a phenomenal year. When we think about Creative Cloud, uh, we had the most number, a record number of subscriptions ever in the history of Creative Cloud. When you think about Document Cloud, uh, the PDF business, 170 million in net new ARR, again, a record. Uh, the new innovation that we're delivering in the digital experience segment, our first $100 million quarter for Adobe Experience Platform and apps, uh, over $700 million in the book of business. Uh, you pointed out profitability, tremendous usage of our AI, which, again, as you pointed out, we're the first large company to, I think, deliver on this AI across models and interfaces. So, you know, the team's done an absolutely outstanding job, and I could not be more proud. Well, you mentioned AI. I want to go into that when it's from the context of the future. I think it's very hard to predict exactly what can happen. I listened to Sam Altman last night, the Times Person of the Year. He's talking about this thing going far, light speed. From what I can tell, uh, guidance is difficult. And, but I do know that small, medium-sized business people have no interaction with AI other than from your company. Doesn't that mean that it's possible that things could get a little better than you think just because you're the only place to turn to? Well, first, as it relates to AI, uh, you know, I think what technology has always done, Jim, is that technology makes accessible to every individual uh, the ability to take what's in their head and whether it's a creative expression, express it, whether you're a small and medium business to be able to do commerce or whether you're a large enterprise to be able to predict what a customer wants, whether you're viewing media, whether you're doing some shopping. Uh, and so I think AI is going to be this profound impact that enables people uh, to be more productive. Uh, and I believe that people who use AI will replace people who don't use AI as opposed to computers replacing AI, which I know is one of the fears, and I'm not one who believes in that. I think as it relates to the guidance, let me uh, touch on that as well, uh, Jim. We take our guidance very seriously. We have tremendous momentum in the business uh, as it relates to digital media, ARR. We are guiding to the highest number we have ever guided at the beginning of the year. Uh, we're hiding, uh, guiding to the highest number we've guided in Q1. Uh, but perhaps, you know, expectations were higher. We take it seriously. We intend to go execute against the tremendous opportunity that we have, uh, you know, and our shareholders will benefit from it. Well, one of the things I, I was surprised to see, because you always list some customers, uh, document cloud. This is, again, why I think things could be a little faster. I know you take your guidance seriously. I think about the customers. I, it's amazing to me. Bank of America, the VA, MasterCard, Volkswagen. These people, these are huge companies, and they are just discovering the document cloud. I mean, these are big wins that could turn into a lot of money. We certainly believe that. And we talked about, uh, you know, what a tremendous quarter we had for what we call transformational accounts. These are accounts, Jim, that are looking at Adobe and saying, everything as it relates to how I engage with customers, I want that to be based on the Adobe platform. When we think about all of the content that we're preparing, the whole uh, content supply chain, how can we think about our brand, how we reflect our brand, how we produce all that content for localized, we're going to standard on Adobe Firefly and the content supply chain that you're providing. Documents. Documents certainly represents the currency of information within an enterprise. How can I take all that information, the knowledge management that exists, and make that 
so that every knowledge worker in the enterprise can become more productive. And to your point, that's where PDF really comes in. I mean, liquid mode, it's this innovation that we delivered on mobile devices. We've now delivered over a billion PDFs uh, using liquid mode. So you're right. I, we think that that is a diamond in the rough. We will continue to invest in it, but just enable every enterprise to take advantage of all the information that exists. Well, the one thing I am troubled by is I, I've been playing around with Figma. Frankly, you know, you know, my daughter loves Firefly and she says, you got to check out this Figma. It's really terrific. And I don't see any overlap. I, I don't see anything that's that would make it so that the myriad competitors would be disenfranchised if you merged. And, and yet I know the Justice Department's taking it seriously. They have to do that. And the Europeans. But with so many competitors, don't you have to say, look, the market is so big that this would not hurt it and maybe have to challenge if the Justice Department goes against you? Well, Jim, if you uh, take a step back and zoom out, I think what we are seeing is really this confluence of creativity and productivity. And when you think about it like that, it's like every tech company, whether you have a platform and it's companies like Microsoft or Google or Apple or Meta or Amazon, who also see all of this opportunity. And what we are trying to do is to say every surface that exists, whether that's a web browser, whether that's a mobile device, whether that's a desktop, we want to take the ability for what Figma has done with respect to creative collaborative uh, software on the web, uh, combine that with what Adobe has done uh, in our creative and make it even more accessible for others. So you're right. It's an incredibly competitive landscape. And again, to your point, AI is going to change all of that. So thinking about markets in the conventional way is just the wrong thing to do. We think it's an adjacency. Uh, we really believe in our merits of the case, but the regulatory environment is challenging. Yeah, totally. And to me, they should be thinking about all the competitors who are who haven't been formed yet that six months from now will be in this in the scrum. Now, one last thing, creative cloud, the content is accelerating tailwind to the business. This, again, could prove to be upside, I believe, to your guidance. Uh, we certainly hope so, uh, Jim, and we are going to continue to do that. If you look at last year and the guidance that we gave at the beginning of the year, it was one point six five billion. As the year progressed and we continue to execute against our strategic initiatives, we upped it to 1.75 billion, and then we ended the year at 1.9 plus billion. And so, you know, I mean, again, uh, we are more focused on making sure that we can delight customers, we can create really compelling technology platforms that stand the test of time, and, you know, really attract the best and brightest to work for Adobe. And on all those fronts, uh, I'm delighted with what we did in 23. We're going to continue to do that in 24. And I'm really excited and uh, optimistic about our future. Well, I'm glad you said that. I think it is about optimism. It's about the strength of the customer base. And it's about what you allow small, medium-sized business people to do. And young people and students and people who have a dream. That's why I love Adobe. I'm not changing my mind one bit. Shantan Ryan, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thanks uh, for having me, Jim. I hope to see you uh, when the Niners play the Eagles next. Well, I hope that we get that far. I know you will. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Man Money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls. And the sky's the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the Lightman Christmas. Let's tell you all about price. Let's talk about the Bible. 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 Let's talk about
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Clear some money. And we want to start with Mandy in Maryland. Mandy. Hi, Professor Kramer. Booyah. Booyah. Love your show. Thank you. Long time fan. Thank How you, are you doing? And. It's Thank you for taking my call and helping us with our investment. I'd like to do a shout out to your staff. They're wonderful. Fantastic staff. Yes, and you're fantastic. I am trying to get ready for next year about what to invest in. Uh, I was thinking of buying NET. Uh, NET. Uh, you know what? I think you're a little late to that party, Mandy. It just had a gigantic spurt up to 81. Why don't we do this? Wait for a pullback. I think it's moved too much. I now want to go clear across the country. I'm going to go to Diane in California. Diane. Oh, hello, Kramer. Nice to night, Jim, actually. No, nice it's okay to, to call me Kramer. Kramer. Everybody calls me Kramer. Some people call me Jimmy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Jimmy. Um, I'm calling uh, to find out about Warner Brothers' uh, dis- discovery. I, I, I have to tell you, this is a great question, because today the Fed has announced that it's probably going to be cutting rates. That is the thing that Warner Brothers' discovery needs more than anything else in the world. they got to lower the debt. Uh, but I need to see a quarter that demonstrates a lot of cash flow. If that happens, then we will get on it. Maybe we have to pay higher. I don't care. How about we go to Fernando in New York? Fernando. Hey, Jim, I want to give you the biggest booyah that you've ever got in your life. How you doing? That may, maybe like the, that's probably like the fourth biggest booyah. But I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Thank you. And how about you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you for asking. Um, the stock I'm going to ask about is ZipRecruiter. Um, it's got a moderate buy rating right now. Um, consensus, consensus of three buy ratings, two holds. And zero cell ratings. Um, you know, it's probably not bad. I, I just don't see a catalyst there. I think it's okay. Fed maybe uh, not uh, raising rates anymore probably could help it. But I think for just a couple of points. I, 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 I wish I could be more enthusiastic. I just can't be. Can we go to Chris in New York? Chris. Hi, Jim. Here's Christopher to ask his question. Okay. okay. Hi, Jim. Uh, I was wondering what are your thoughts on American Airlines and how high you think it could go? You know what? American Airlines is just is just doing okay. I I more favor Delta right now. Uh, I will be interviewing Southwest Air tomorrow, so we'll have to take a look at that one too. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, the big pharma fracas is a back-and-forth affair. But one stock seems to have a prescription for long-term success. Kramer's filling you in next. It's not easy to run a drug company. You create fantastic products, you patent them. Then 20 years later, the patents expire and they're worth next to nothing. That's the dilemma Pfizer finds itself in, as many of their excellent drugs have come off patent, and they don't have enough new products in the pipeline to offset the lost revenue, hence the huge shortfall that they announced today. Many investors piled into Pfizer earlier because it was the best capitalized pharma company that succeeded in beating COVID. These guys did a record $100 billion in sales this year, including $37.8 billion in COVID vaccines, $18.9 billion in Paxlovid, which is the closest anyone's come to a cure. 
Pfizer plans to use that money not just to cover its bountiful dividend, but more important, to fill the holes in its weak new drug pipeline by making acquisitions. Good idea in theory. But we've recently found out that they're seeing a huge shortfall in COVID-related treatments. The company was originally expecting $21.5 billion in COVID-related sales this year. But when it reported third quarter results at the end of October, Pfizer cut that outlook to just $12.5 billion. Then today, the company rolled out its 2024 guidance, and that includes an expectation for just $8 billion in sales for the COVID products this year. Wow! Of course, Pfizer's nose not standing still. CEO Dr. Albert Bourla has gone on a spending spree to bolster the new drug pipeline. He paid up $11.8 billion for Biohaven's revolutionary migraine drug and shelling out $43 billion for CGen, the old Seattle genetics, which has a terrific anti-cancer franchise. But it's not as easy as it looks, though. Pfizer has been unable to meet the projections for Nurtec, the migraine drug they got from Biohaven. As chief spokesperson for the American Migraine Foundation, I, I thought it could do much more than a billion dollars in sales this year, given how effective it is and Pfizer's sales force. Revolutionary relief in 15 minutes from a migraine? Miracle! But under Pfizer, the sales are looking more like $861 million this year. Give me a break! Meanwhile, uh, until just now, the FTC held up the CGen deal, making Pfizer's situation even more dire. The fact that CGen has novel potential treatments for breast, ovarian, lung, and bladder cancer could be used for Pfizer now that the sale's closing. But there won't be much to show right off the bat. It'll be dilutive. I'm giving you this history because I want you to understand that it's hard to run a drug company. Because if you don't have a decent pipeline, it's impossible to show any growth. In the last 10 years, Pfizer stock has actually gone down from just $29 on this date in 2013 to $26 and change today. That's horrendous performance. Total value destruction during a wonderful time for the averages. But these patent cliffs happen to be the best of them. Today, Johnson Johnson caught a downgrade from Wells Fargo, from buy to hold because of Patentcliff, the big drug Stellara, will likely lose its exclusivity in 2025. This treatment for all sorts of autoimmune conditions, psoriatic arthritis, Crohn's disease, all sorts of colitis, generates roughly $10 million in sales. Once all the patents are expired, it'll make next to nothing. So what is the antidote here? You know what? I think the best model is Eli Lilly which spent years developing game-changing drugs like their blockbuster GLP-1 weight loss shot that we talk about constantly in the CNBC investing club meetings. Ken Langone, one of my absolute favorite investors, came on Squawk Box this morning, and he said that he thinks Eli Lilly, by far the biggest of the big pharmas at $500 billion, will be the first trillion-dollar valuation thanks to its research. We have a big position, really, for the Chapel Trust, which you can follow, of course, by joining the CBC Investing Club. Like Ken said this morning, Louis' superior research is the secret sauce here. That and the relentless nature of the company as it tries to tackle the hardest of diseases. In the end, Lilly doesn't have a patent cliff like nearly every other major player in the industry because CEO David Ricks and his team have created the best growth company in the industry, all without making major acquisitions, frankly. If Ken Langone is right, and he usually is when it comes to healthcare, then it's not too late to get on board, even after this move. No cliffs in sight, just what a bull is looking for. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant 
warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.